0: and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Nimnick. Appreciate you tuning in for another episode. This one's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to run a solo episode here. I'm going to be talking about all the coyote hunting equipment I use. I get tons and tons of questions through social media, um, questions on our YouTube series, all the time about equipment. Um, So I figured it would be great just to run down in, in very specific detail, you know, from my rifle to my optics and how I have all that set up. Um... To predator hunting seats, e calls, radios, uh, predator hunting seats, um, and even some truck accessories. Um, you know, I'm going to talk about what I'm using now and why I'm using it. I'm going to talk about you know maybe even things I've tried in the past and why I'm using what I'm using now. So hopefully you'll get some great information, especially if you're in the market to be uh, purchasing some some new coyote hunting equipment. Hopefully this episode will help. But before we get going, I'm excited to announce a new partner on the podcast, uh, Cryptech Camo. And, uh, I love camo. We all do obviously as coyote hunters. Um, probably not as big of a deal to the coyote as it is to us. Um, more so for me, um, you know, hunting out West, uh, you know, we're calling in, in terrain. That's, you know, a lot of gr- grays and yellows and light colored Browns, you know, not so much the dark timber. So I'm looking for those patterns that, you know, are going to be on the lighter side um and you know for for a camo company I want somebody that's going to give me a lot of options you know when I dress for coyote hunting I'm dressing in layers you know a lot of times we're out in the morning and it's extremely cold but within you know 2 or 3 hours as we're hunting through that midday you know the temperature may be 30 40 degree swing so I want some some clothing that I can shed and and get rid of and add back on without uh, you know being too bulky and being able to remove her. So I'm excited to to get this you know line of Cryptek camo in. Uh, I'm going to be running the Highlander pattern. Um, so once I start getting this and in, in, in using it, I'm going to fill you guys in on some of the the specific products they offer. A, a ton of lines out there. Um, I'm excited to see what the cold weather aspects of them of the clothing line are like um, as well. But either way, I'm going to keep you guys filled in on that and, and stay tuned. I I got, some message, I got some news from the Eastman guys that they're actually coming out with a new camo pattern uh, later this summer of 2022. So uh, they said uh, it might be right up our alley as far as predator hunters and even big game hunters. So I'm excited to see that. So if you got any information or if you need some information or want more information on the Cryptek Camo lineup, visit cryptek.com. So as you can imagine, I get tons and tons of questions in regards to the equipment that I use as a coyote hunter. And I felt like, you know what? Let's do a podcast on that. Let's get into some real detail, not just uh, the generic answer that sometimes people get when they ask me, um, but let's dive in a little bit to, you know, why I use what I use, some of the other things maybe I've used over the years, um, and, and kind of what uh, what I prefer, and, and everything from my rifle setup to optics on there, you know, bipods, bullets, slings, um, you know, let's look at e-call uh, you know, hunting seats, camo radios, even some stuff with my truck, but to get going, let's start with my rifle setup. So as many of you know, I've been shooting AR since 2004 exclusively. I don't really even own a bolt gun, especially a predator hunting bolt gun. Um, so ARs has always been my thing. Um, I've shot manufacturer wise, I've shot Bushmasters, uh, DPMSs, and then Daniel Defense. Um, Obviously, there's, there's a lot of manufacturers out there nowadays. Um, you know, I've been shooting Daniel Defense now for probably the last five or six seasons. Um, and by far, of the three that I have ever shot, uh, the the Daniel Defense DD-MK12 specifically um, has been the best shooting AR that I've ever been around. And that's not to say there's not other ones out there. I haven't shot every AR, um, you know, in this day and age. There's a lot of manufacturers out there. So, um, But I want to talk specifically about, you know, why I like the, the MK12. Now, the MK-12 has an 18-inch barrel, and over the years, I've shot both 16- and 18-inch barrels. For me, the 18-inch barrel seems to be a a little bit better in the fact that you're getting just a little bit more velocity out of that. You know, I've never seen a huge difference in accuracy, um, but you lose a little bit of velocity when you drop down to that 16-inch barrel. I think it's somewhere in the ballpark of maybe 200 feet per second. Uh, for every 4 inches of barrel, you know. So if you go from a 16 to a 20, you're going to see a couple hundred uh, feet per second. So, um, you know, if you're looking at a box of ammo, sometimes they'll have the, the muzzle velocities on the back. You know, that's usually on a test gun that's probably somewhere in the ballpark of a 22 or 24-inch barrel, probably a bolt gun, especially if you look at, like, a box of two twenty-three ammo. Um, they probably didn't test that on a 16 or 18. So um, if you're looking for velocities, you know, a lot of times, you know, you want to shoot it through a, a chronograph, and get those velocities. And that's what I did on mine. So, out of that 18 inch barrel shooting those 53 grain Hornady VMAX, um, I'm shooting in the ballpark of about 3050, which is real ideal for me. You know, when you're shooting these small bullets, keeping it somewhere in that 3000 to 3200, I feel like you get better penetration with your bullets, especially those smaller bullets before they explode. You know, you push the limits of 34, 36, 3800 feet. You know, those bullets are going fast, they have a tendency to splash. Um, if you hit a coyote right in the shoulder, um, and, and things like that, so for me personally, I felt like the thirty to thirty-two hundred ballpark is is where I wanted to be, and that's what that eighteen-inch MK twelve gets me. Now that MK twelve has a special barrel. I don't know the exact specifics, but it's a little bit different barrel than what you'll find on some of their other line of rifles, and I think that's where some of the expense comes in because you know that that MK twelve is somewhere around two thousand dollar a rifle. Um, and I think it has to do with longevity. I think it has to do with, um, you know, maybe a little bit of accuracy as well. Um, but, you know, those barrels come threaded, which is nice. You know, most ARs already come threaded, um, so you can put a suppressor on there, um, which I'll talk about here shortly. But another thing I really like that you want to look at, if you're looking in, into an AR rifle, uh, trigger is the main thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of aftermarket triggers out there. If if you have a standard mil-spec trigger on your AR, it's probably going to be somewhere in the ballpark of 8- to 9-pound trigger, which if you know anything about shooting, it's it's tough to shoot accurate groups with that heavy of a trigger. So whether you drop in an aftermarket trigger or you buy a rifle that already comes with one, it's definitely something you want to do to your AR. Now, that MK-12 comes with a, a Geisley two-stage trigger. Now, this is one of those things. If you're going from a bolt gun and going to an AR, you might not like the two-stage because they're – the way to explain a two stage is, is you get a little bit of slack. You know, they explain it as maybe a two and a half pound pull of slack before the trigger kind of tightens up. And then from there, it's maybe a two pound trigger. A lot of guys don't like that slack. They want something like what they would have on their bolt gun is pretty much a two pound trigger. But as soon as you touch it, it's going off. Now, if you were in that ballpark, you know, they do make some aftermarket triggers that are like that. I think, I don't know if Jewel makes a trigger, maybe Timony even makes one. um, But you know, after I shot that Geisley two-stage for, for a while, I got used to it, and, you know, the more and more I shoot it, the more and more I like it, because in a lot of situations with coyote hunting, I'm using gloves, you know, not just thin gloves, a lot of times it's heavy gloves, you know, you're hunting these coyotes in the, in the winter, and it gives me a little bit better feel for the trigger with that slack when I pull out that first stage with a heavier glove on, you know, I can feel right, okay, now the trigger's tight, um, here it goes. And and that seems to help my shooting out quite a bit by having that two-stage trigger. But if you have it, it may take, you know, a little while to to get that figured out. Now, another thing, too, is the rail. You know, rails are customizable on these ARs. Um, the reason I've liked the MK12 is it's a full Picatinny rail. Now, you may run into an M-Lock rail. Um, that's probably the most common nowadays. I really like the Picatinny. It's kind of old-school for me. Um, my Swagger bipod fits on that, on that, Picatinny rail a lot easier. Uh, M lock you have to go through an extra s- a step to get a swagger to hook to it, um, and I just kind of like the look. So that's more of a, a feel thing for you. You know whatever kind of rail you want on that gun, um, and then from there stocks. You know I've always went with a, the six position adjustable stock. Um, that way you can almost f- get it fit exactly. You know one of those six stages is probably going to fit you with your length of pull and give you the best eye relief on your scope. Um, you know, then obviously when my boys started shooting my ARs and they were old enough to start shooting scoped rifles, I could really suck that stock way down short, give them that shorter length of pull where they could fit the gun in their shoulder and still get the eye relief. Um, so uh, that's what I've always went with. And those are some of the basics. You know, there's you can get a, up to maybe two $300 aftermarket stocks for these ARs, but, uh, you know, those those six position ones are fairly reasonable, maybe $60, $80 if your gun does not uh, not have one on there. Um, you know, with rifles, you know, when it comes to scopes on the rifles, um, that's probably a big thing I get. Big question I get when it comes to optics is what do I shoot for me? Optics is a lot of personal preference. Um, you know, I shot loopholes for lots and lots of years and that was kind of my go-to. I just, I like their reliability. I like what they had to offer. You know, my guns in my truck for probably... You know, five months straight, bouncing around, you know, on all t- sorts of terrain, guns getting beat around, and it would hold zero. And that was important to me, to have a gun that's going to hold zero, and not, I'm not have to go back out to the range, you know, every two weeks to recite in my gun. Um, one thing I originally really liked about the loophole was the CDS system, was the custom dials. Um, you know, and five, six years ago, this was something fairly new on the optics market. But nowadays, it seems like almost every optics manufacturer offers something like this. Um, and basically, that's just a custom dial. Um, it's set up specifically for your caliber, your gun, your muzzle velocity, your ballistic coefficient, um, your elevation, your temperature. And then they custom build this dial for you. And then I'll, it's pretty simple at that point. You know, if you have a 400-yard shot, you just spin the elevation turret to the to the four. And you hold, hold the crosshairs dead on. You still have to play the wind a little bit, which is always the big kicker with these small calibers, um, but it made it pretty simple for shooting out there at three, four, 500 yards. Um, recently, um, I switched over to six hour optics. Um, you know, I thought what I was really intrigued by the BDX system that they offer. You know, I'm a big technology guy, um, and I thought, you know what, this seems like a pretty sweet system, especially for coyote hunting, you know. The difference between shooting maybe a longer-range coyote shot versus a big-game shot is, you know, if you're shooting a deer, an antelope, or an elk, you're going to have a lot more time, I guarantee it. You know, coyotes aren't going to stand there for very long. So I wanted a system that that was quick and gave me a little more adjustability. The, the thing I realized with that loophole CDS system was it wasn't exact. Once I got out to that 4, 450, 500-yard range, my dial was off a little bit. And I had to always tell myself, okay, on a 450 yard shot, um, after just going out to the range and shooting at 450 yards, I realized, okay, I have to spin it to the 450 on the dial, but then I got to add a few extra clicks on there. Um, the one thing I really like about this BDX system <clears throat> from SIG is I can get into the app, the BDX app, and I can adjust things. You know, let's say my muzzle velocity really is 3050, and if I put that into the BDX system, maybe I run into the same issues. Maybe. Maybe, you know, when I shoot 400 yards, maybe it's not dead on. So I can get back into that app and I can adjust. Okay, let me say if it's hitting low at 450, I'm going to take some muzzle velocity off of there on the app and maybe drop it down to 3,000, maybe 2950, and that will recalibrate all the drops. And um, then all of a sudden now I may be hitting, you know, dead on at 450 like it's supposed to be just by making some adjustments in there. And and that's what I really liked. And, And the cool part about this BDX system, is it's all Bluetooth. So I download the app, I enter all my ballistic profile uh, from that particular round, that particular rifle that I'm shooting, and then it actually downloads that into the into the Kilo 3000 binoculars that I have. And and then from there, the Kilo 3000 binoculars Bluetooth into the scope, and they communicate to each other. So as soon as I, when I have the, the scope turned on, as soon as I shoot a range, you'll see a little Bluetooth icon come up in the screen of the, binos and that tells me that the tr- signal's transmitted and instantly a dot comes up on the vertical lower half of the crosshair and that's my hold um so it's super fast super simple um you know I don't have to worry about spinning a dial I don't have to worry about you know you know spinning my dial back when I get done shooting um it's just there and as soon as let's say the coyote moves and I need to shoot a new range obviously then the dot will change if if that coyote goes farther out um, so far, I, you know, I got this scope put on towards the end of the, probably only had about a month of the season left. Um, I didn't have a real opportunity to go out and shoot it a lot at longer ranges. Um, I shot a porcupine at 350 yards. We were sitting on a stand and it was pretty much dead calm and that was the longest thing I shot with it. Um, and it was sweet. I, you know, put the, turned the Bluetooth on, on the, on the scope, shot a range, dot came up, held it right on him and it, uh, it smoked him right there, um. So I'm I'm anxious to get out this summer, this fall before the next season starts, and really you know fine tune this sucker because you know having a gun that can shoot out there to four or five hundred yards is important when it comes to coyote hunting. You know we're trying to call these coyotes in, but um, there are going to be coyotes that do hang up. That's part of the game, and being able to effectively you know put a good shot on those coyotes is important, and it's going to help add coyotes into the back of your truck too. So um, you know that's an important piece of it. Now, optics-wise, um, I've always been, you know, the loopholes I shot were in the $1,000, you know, range. Um, you know, I think this Sierra 6 BDX that I'm shooting, it's a 5 to 30 by 56. Um, I like a lot of magnification, and that's probably where I differ from a lot of guys. Um, I keep my scope at 10 or 11 power all the time. I never turn it down lower than that. I run it up a lot. If I get a coyote at two or 300 yards, I might zoom my scope into 15, 20, 25 power. Um, just to really you know pick a spot out on the coyote you know there's an old adage from my days in the Marine Corps which was aim small miss small so when I'm shooting at a coyote I'm picking I'm picking out a little discoloration of fur um, whatever it may be a small spot on that coyote to try to hit I'm not just aiming for the shoulder of a coyote um, it's a small target so sometimes being able to zoom in for me, um, is just a personal preference that I like, you know. And you may not like that much magnification, or want that, or even need that much magnification. But for me, that's that's what I wanted. Um, you know, the glass and it's great. You know, I think when you're comparing scopes, it's important to compare apples to apples. Obviously, you know, a twenty-five hundred dollar scope is going to have better glass in it than an eight hundred dollar scope. It's just the way it is. Um, you know, the technology features may be a little bit different, um, but glass is going to be glass. And I think you got to. You know, when you're looking at a price range, I think you need to figure out what your budget is for optics and then, you know, shop around within that price range and see what you can get, you know, as far as, you know, magnification powers, how big of an objective lens you want. Obviously, that's going to gather in more light. You know, as a coyote hunter, you know, those first stands of the morning, last stands of the day, you know, the sun's getting low, um, you know, that's important to gather that light. So, you know, if you're looking for optics, I think it's important to, you know, compare apples to apples and, and then just from there, go through and find out, you know, what features each scope has and which ones you think you need and which ones you don't think you need and go from there. Another piece of optic equipment that I have on my rifle is a red dot mounted on a 45. Now, you know, the old adage of carrying in a shotgun and carrying a rifle, you know, I did that for a lot, a lot of years and, and I still do it in some situations. Um, to me, in some situations, there's just no replacing a shotgun in certain situations. We go down to Arizona, some of that thick brush country. I mean, you're seeing coyotes as they're within shotgun range. I mean, that's the first time you're seeing these coyotes. So, And, and they're running past. They're, a lot of times they're not even stopping. So you need something quick to get on coyotes. And a shotgun is the, is the most impressive tool for getting that done. Now, a red dot works great for me more in, this, in the wide open country where I can see a coyote coming hard to the call. Maybe I can't get that coyote to stop, and then I have time to kind of roll my rifle over, cant it to a 45-degree you know, angle, and then use that red dot. Um, for most people, it's going to be a lot easier getting a coyote in a red dot sight at 30 yards running as opposed to trying to get him in your scope. Um, ultimately, for me, I've done it enough where most of the time now, I just shoot coyotes in the scope at 10 power, you know, right at the call, 30, 40 yards. Um, and it's not an issue for me. But every now and then, that red dot comes in handy. And for a lot of years, I ran a Burris Fast Fire 3, um, which was pretty affordable. Um, It was a great little sight. I ran the 8 MOA dot. I figured I wanted a little bit bigger dot just so my eye would pick it up a little bit quicker. And then I dial that dead on at like 20 or 25 yards. And it seemed like anywhere from maybe 10 to 40 yards, that that red dot was pretty much dead on. Um, As I transitioned over to SIG Optics, they have a Romeo... Um, XL that I really like, uh, and the reason I like it just a little bit better than the Burris is that the screen on it's just a little bit bigger. So when you do roll it over, you have a little bit better field of view. You know when it comes to getting that coyote in there, and you know it has a, it has a few more brightness settings um, and things like that. But anyway, I just take a, a Weaver 45 mount, and it actually just mounts right on the top of that Picatinny rail on my AR, and then it's got another four, uh, Picatinny mount that sits on a 45 degree angle. And as a left-handed shooter, you know, you want that on the left side of your scope. And if you're a right-handed shooter, you'd want that sticking out of the right side of your scope. And then all you do is you just cant the rifle towards your face, which rolls that over and essentially puts that red dot right above the barrel when you cant it um, and gives you that ability to shoot. Now, there's another option. You can mount it right above your scope. Some scope rings will have an added Picatinny rail on the top. Um, And if you don't have the tall elevation turret on there, you can get away with that. And for a lot of guys, that's easier to acquire your target because all you have to do is bring your eye out of the scope and the red dot's sitting right on top of your scope, and it makes it a little bit easier. But um, I always shot scopes that had, you know, one-inch-tall turrets, so I wasn't able to do that. So that's why I use the forty five mount there. Now, kind of the last piece of my rifle is the suppressor aspect. Um, I got my first suppressor in 2008. Um I have four of them now. So, uh, the first suppressors I got are Gemtex. The one I shoot all the time now is a Gem Gemtex Sandstorm. Uh, it's a 30 cal suppressor. It's a thread on. Um, so, you know, I would recommend to people if you're looking to get a suppressor, that's what I would recommend. Would go is go with a thread on 30 cal, um, and then you can really use that one suppressor for every rifle that you own, all the way up to like a 300 Win Mag. Um, you know, I've never seen any noticeable sound suppression lost by shooting a 30 cal on my 223 um obviously the 30 cals are a little bit longer they're a little bit bigger um but that's never been an issue to me um i'm i'm guessing that Gemtech tech sandstorm i have now i've probably shot you know well over probably eight or ten thousand rounds through it um i do clean it every now and then um i use some clr and you know fill a cup up with that and let it soak in there for 24 hours and that kind of dissolve some of that carbon buildup and then I can, you know, tap it and kind of bust that up and and flush it out. Um, you know, but it's, it's been a pretty phenomenal suppressor for me. Uh, the other suppressors I have is a, a Gemtech, uh, Trek T, which is in a 22 caliber. And then I have a couple Daniel defense waves, um, that are both in 30 cals. Now the thing you'll realize with suppressors is obviously your point of impact changes when you put a suppressor on your rifle. So, what I mean by that is, if you have your rifle sighted in without the suppressor, and then you screw a suppressor on there to shoot it, more than likely your point of impact is going to change, and sometimes it's pretty significant. You know, it may be five, six, eight inches of of, of difference. You know, between your your point of impact for non non-suppressed versus when you screw that on. So, you know, make sure you when you if you're going to use your suppressor, make sure you you know screw it on, it in with that suppressor on there. Um, but every suppressor. It's it's almost like bullets and rifles. You know, some rifles like bullets better than others. For me to tell you that that 53 grain is going to shoot great in your gun, I don't know for sure. You know, every gun likes bullets a little bit different. The same is true with suppressors. Um, for example, like on my my MK12, I can screw on that Gemtech Sandstorm with the 53 grains, and it'll shoot sub half inch groups. Um, if I screw on that Daniel Defense Wave, it shoots about inch to inch and a quarter groups. You know, for for some reason the rifle. Um, and the setup just likes the Gemtech Sandstorm better, you know. And I've heard this from a lot of guys. You know, they'll shoot a, a couple different suppressors, and you know, their gun may like one better than the other. You know, and I'm sure it's just something with harmonics and maybe the way that the, the suppressors made. But um, you know, you may find that it may you may have to test out a sample or two to see, uh, you know, what maybe your gun likes the best and and what shoots the best. Now, if you are in the market for suppressors. Um, you know, there's a million options. I've been around a ton of suppressors. I mean, almost everybody I hunt with has suppressors and everybody has pretty much a different brand, Um, you know. So, you know, one thing I've noticed is they all sound the same. And the the true test for me is obviously suppressors sound louder on an AR because you're getting the bolt slamming back beside your face. Uh, They always sound much quieter on a bolt gun. And I don't really think that's the case. I think it just sounds that way. You know, because the gun's right next to your head. You know, for me, a, a true test was to stand away, you know, 20, 30 yards and kind of listen to it. And some things, what you may do too, you know, as long as you're safe at the range and whatnot, you know, have, have somebody stand there and shoot and you walk down range and maybe stand 20, 30, 40 yards left or right of the target where they're shooting and kind of get an idea of what it sounds like downrange Because from a coyote hunter's perspective, that's what we really care about is when the coyote's standing there at 100 yards or his buddy's standing next to him out there at 100 yards, you know, what's it really sound like to that coyote? Um, you know, but other than that, you know, the sound suppression of of suppressors is, is really impressive, obviously, just from a hearing protection standpoint. But what most people don't realize when it comes to suppressors is the, the reduction of recoil. And I don't know the exact number, but if I had to guess, I'm going to say it's going to knock down probably 75% of the recoil of your gun, no matter what caliber you're shooting it on. And that's huge from a shooting percentage. Standpoint because, um, you know any gun that has less recoil you're going to shoot it better. It's just just a fact, and you know being able to shoot coyotes and watch them die in the scope is extremely important. And you can do that when you shoot suppressed, just because you're not getting any recoil, big muzzle jump, anything like that. Um, and then a lot of another cool part about suppressors when it comes to coyote hunting, you know the whack of the bullet hitting the coyote is way louder than the shot itself. So there's usually no mistaking whether you hit a coyote or not. You know, in in the long run, it'll save you time. You know, I'm sure you've all been in that boat where you shot and you thought, well, I thought I hit him, and you had to walk out there at 200 yards and you look around and you waste 10 or 15, 20 minutes looking and you don't find any blood. Well, shooting suppressed, you'll you'll have you'll know for a fact whether you hit that coyote or not and whether it's worth you know going out there to look or whether it's worth a I just missed and it's time to go back to the truck. Now. Um, you know, I do use a sling on my rifle. I use just a standard sling. Um, it just mounts into the, the side of the stock. I know some guys use those, you know, kind of a tactical harness sling with ARs. But for me, a sling's crazy important just because I can sling my rifle and, and it leaves me hands-free. Um, and like I said earlier about bullets, you know, you you might want to experiment with a lot of bullets. You know, for me, the 53-grain Hornady VMAX super performance rounds have been the best bullet I've ever shot coyotes with. Um, luckily for me, they shoot really, really good out of my AR, you know, that MK 12 is a one in seven twist. So early on, people told me, well, one in seven twist, it's made for heavier bullets. You're just not going to be able to get those, those smaller, you know, 50, 55 grain bullets to, to hold a group. Well, it did, you know, even the guys at Daniel defense were kind of surprised when, uh, I started showing them groups and things like that. Um, so you may have to shoot some different bullets, you know, just because you shoot one bullet through your AR and it doesn't group good doesn't mean it's not a good rifle that it won't group. You know, it just may take some more experimentation on your part. Um, you know, but the terminal ballistics, and I've talked about it before in this podcast, those 53-grain bullets, for some reason, are just phenomenal when it comes to, you know, the terminal ballistics. And what I mean by terminal ballistics is from the time the bullet impacts your target to the time the energy's all gone, the bullet stopped moving, it's fragmented, whatever. Um, you know, I just... Hit lots and lots of coyotes, and lots and lots of coyotes don't get away. Um, You know, the 223 does get a bad name in the predator world. Um, You know, I can probably count on one hand the number of coyotes I've lost in the last 10 years where I put a bullet in the body of a coyote. Um, Obviously, if you're hitting coyotes in the legs, you know, high in the back, you know, I don't care what caliber you're shooting, there's a chance you're not going to get them. What I'm worried about is if I'm putting bullets through the rib cage, how far is the coyote going? Um, how much damage is it doing, Um, what kind of pelt damage is it doing, you know, if your coyote's worth money. Those are things that are important to me. Hey, guys, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but I wanted to take a second to tell you a little bit about Black Rifle Coffee Company. Now, their mission is simple, to serve coffee and culture to people who love America. America. Now, they've developed their explosive roast profiles with the same mission focus they learned as military members serving this great country. And they're committed to supporting veterans, law enforcement, and first responders. Now, we all know those first stands of the morning come early, and even those midday stands can be a drag, and caffeine and coffee are our friends. So if you're looking for a new line of hot roast coffees or even some of their cold brews, you can go to their website and see what they have to offer. Now, one thing I want to tell you about is their Coffee Club subscriptions. These allow for automatic deliveries on your schedule and also give you exclusive discounts with over 50 industry partners. So if you would like more information on these Coffee Club subscriptions that Black Rifle Coffee Company has to offer, visit blackriflecoffee.com. Now, back to the podcast. And like I said, by far, those 53 grains have been the best the bullet that I've ever shot. Uh, through that AR. So you might give it a shot. If you're looking for a, a bullet to see, you know, if those shoot in your gun as well, you know, that's, you know, as far as the entire rifle setup, um, you know, that's really should cover it. Hopefully, you know, if you're looking for more info, um, I have a YouTube, a personal YouTube channel called Jeff Nimnick coyote vids, and I actually have a video, uh, of at the range and I kind of go through my rifle setup, Um, if you wanted to look a little bit more in detail. You know, one thing I do want to add, you know, as far as the rings on my rifle, I've always been a big two-piece guy. Rings, you know, they make a lot of, you know, cantilever mount style, you know, and I get a lot of flack for it. You know, you're running a two-piece ring system um, on that Picatinny rail, top rail on my rifle, um, there's no way I could put both of those bases, ring mounts, on the receiver part of my rifle. And a lot of people say, okay, you want your mounts on the receiver part where the barrel connects to the receiver, the, and the rail for your barrel starts. They say you don't want that second mount out on that. Well, that's the only way I could get my uh, scope to mount up the way I wanted it to. And for me, my gun shoots great. Um, I get a lot of comments that, Hey, you can't mount it like that. Well, I did. And it works, you know? So, um, you know, I guess if you mount it the same way and it's not holding groups, then maybe that's your that's your reasoning. But luckily for me, with this rifle, with the rings I use, um, and I think I'm running some some big t- extra tall Knight Force um, rings. I mean, they're about a hundred and you know maybe sixty or eighty bucks a, a set, um, but they're heavy duty, um, and I know they're not going to come loose and things like that when my gun's getting bounced around. So, um, lots of mounting options when it comes to your scope, whether it's a one piece base. In um, rings built in, or like I do, I have a two-piece set of uh, rings that just uh, you know hook right down into the Picatinny rail. So that gives you some options there. Next, let's let's talk a little bit about e calls. Um, probably the second most question I get. Um, obviously, if you listen to the podcast, you know uh, I run Lucky Duck Predator calls and. You know, wanted to go into a little more specific details about you know kind of what call I run, what's my favorite, why it's my favorite. Um, you know, up until this year when they released Super Revolt, the Revolt call was my favorite. Um, the main reason was that that call spins, it revolves left and right. You know, it's it's a proprietary thing, it's a patented thing, it's the only call in on the market that'll do this. But you have the ability to spin the call left. And from the push of a button, it'll start spinning left, and it'll keep spinning left until I push the button to stop it. It has another button that'll spin it back to the right. I push that button. The call will spin to the right until I push that button to stop it. And then it has a a scan button, which one push of the button, and the call kind of does a 180-degree scan and then centers back out. But, you know, this is a huge, especially in big open country that I primarily hunt, you know, wherever I'm at, um, you're able to cast that sound, you know, in pretty much any direction you want. And really cover the entire area you're hoping coyotes are gonna, you know, come from with sound. So, huge, huge part of the reason why I like that revolt over per se the Roughneck, where you still get the same speaker and the same amp, um, you just don't have the ability to to scan the call. Essentially, you have to walk the call out and point it in a certain direction, and wherever you point it, you know that's where the sound's going. So, um, I also like the fact that it's got a built-in decoy. Um, I'm not a huge decoy guy, if if I had to carry a decoy in separate, I probably would not use a decoy. But having it built into the call where I can turn it off and turn it on from the remote, um, it's got three different speeds. So if I want it to go a little faster in frequency, I can do that. If I want it to be more of a slow flutter, um, I can hit it hit it down to speed one and, and have it do that. So those two things are pretty, pretty important to me. Um, you know. And that's why I've always liked the, the Revolt as opposed to maybe the Roughneck. Now this year with the Super Revolt coming out, um, you get that upgraded remote. And that was always the great thing about the Roughneck was um, you have this this new LDX remote that they call it. And it has a bigger screen, bigger buttons, just a little more user-friendly. It's kind of an upgraded version um, of a Lucky Duck remote. And, you know, obviously I liked it more than a Revolt remote, but I didn't, it wasn't enough to offset the features of spinning the call in the built-in decoy. So, um, now, with the Super Revolt being out, you get basically everything in one package, not only do I get the spinning part, um, I get the built-in decoy, but now I get that, you know, LDX remote and everything that comes with that. Um, so that'll be my go-to call from now on, I think, is that Super Revolt, um, just because of all those added extra features. Now, a lot of people ask me, you know, what's, what call should I get, the Revolt or the Roughneck? Um, they're both pretty similarly priced, you know, in that 450 to 550 price range. Um, and I usually ask people, do you day hunt more or do you night hunt more? Um, if you day hunt more, I think you'll probably be happier with the Revolt because of those added features of the decoy and being able to spin the call. Um, the Revolt remote has the ability to, to go to night mode, but there's it's only one brightness setting is all. When you go to the Roughneck, you can go to night mode, but, th- but you can actually has 10 dimness settings, so you can dim it way, way down. Um, and a lot of the night hunters really like that feature. And then it seems like night hunting. Um, a lot of guys are just, uh, whether you're hunting from a high rack, you're just setting the call on the hood or whether you're hunting off tripods, standing out in the middle of the field, you know, a lot of guys are just hanging that call, you know, maybe right underneath their tripod or maybe just walking it out and setting it on a fence post out in front of them or something like that. So, uh, it just seems like in general, having the ability to spin the call and the decoy aren't as important to, to the guys that are primarily night hunting kind of a couple of the things that are, are key with these calls is going with a lithium ion battery pack, you know, these are all, they run off of 10 AA batteries and you're going to run through a lot of, lot of batteries if you don't have that pack. And I tell people this, you know, if you're going to hunt, you're going to run through 10 double A's probably in a full day of coyote hunting. And if you coyote hunt 10 days in the winter, you know, you just went through a hundred double A's, you know, you've probably spent, I don't even know, that's at least $50 worth of double A's right there. Um, so, you know, the lithium pack, I think, is like $90 or $100. Um, you're just going to get better performance with it, and it comes with a wall charger, so you're not constantly taking out your birdcage in and out. I've heard of a lot of guys that have done that, and pretty soon the wires are going to break on you. And then you're going to have an issue, obviously, getting power to the call. You're going to have to send it in a lucky duck to have them fix it and whatnot. You're going to be out of a call for a while. The great thing about that lithium pack is I can put it in the call, and I just leave it. And once I need to charge the call, I just plug the wall charger in, peel open the little rubber, cover on the back, plug the call in a little LED indicator on the wall charger will tell me when it's charged and unplug it and away I go. I don't have to pull the battery pack uh, in and out but huge huge feature uh, if you're looking to get better performance um, out of your call, especially if you hunt a lot in cold weather uh, and things like that. Now kind of on that same setup is based off of uh, you know equipment and calls I use the lucky duck predator seat to carry my call um, you know, had the chance to help develop this, this little seat with Lucky Duck a few years back. Um, I've always used some sort of seat, you know, just in my country, it's whether it's snow or cold or cactus or whatever it may be, having some sort of seats important. Um, not only to, like I said, to keep your butt dry and keep it out of the cactus. It just makes you a little more comfortable. It makes you a little more patient, less fidgety, um, less movement. But a, a big part about a seat is back support. And I think a you know, especially if you're in country where I'm at, we don't have trees and stuff to sit back, you know, lean up to like you're turkey hunting. Um, you're just pretty much sitting on the side of bare Hills a lot of times. So having that back support is is important, obviously just for comfortability, but also from a shooting standpoint, you know, anytime I can push back against the, that back support, um, that's going to help steady you up when it comes to putting bullets uh, on target. So uh, the Lucky Duck Predator seat is a great way to to cover all that has a pocket where, you know, any of the Lucky Duck calls will fit in the pocket. It has a big shoulder strap so I can cross sling it across my shoulder. Um, and it just, you know, rests on my back and off I go. And between a sling on my rifle and that, you know, at that point, um, you know, I'm pretty much set. I have hands free to drag coyotes, cross fences and everything that, but one thing I do want to go back, you know, that just, you know, I talked about Swagger bipods a little bit. I want to, go back to the rifle setup and, and talk a little bit about, you know, shooting supports. You know, for a lot of years, I ran a, a, a Harris bipod um, off my gun, you know, and it was a 27-inch. And in our terrain that I primarily hunt, you're sitting on a lot of side hills. And the problem I had with that Harris bipod was it never was tall enough. The legs would not get tall enough if I was sitting on, let's say, a, you know, 30, 40, 45-degree side hill. And, Although I really liked the Harris, it was always super steady. It felt like, you know, I was just solid when when I got down on the gun using it. It just wasn't real effective when I got onto those side hills. So I would end up having to carry in a set of shooting sticks, just an old standard. You know, some guys have just a couple dowels. I think the kind I had were uh, some old arrow shafts and a little rubber thing that kind of connected them to kind of let them why out at the top. Um, But I would have to carry in a set of shooting sticks, and I'd have my Harris bipod on my gun. You know, when somebody introduced me to Swaggers, you know, four or five years ago, I was thinking to myself, man, those things look bulky. I don't know if I really want to put one of those on my gun. Um, You know, but once I finally gave it a chance, I was like, wow, you know, this is really, although Swaggers were not made for coyote hunting, it's almost like they were specifically made for coyote hunters. Just because of the fact that I can put it on my gun, I don't have to carry anything, um, it gives me that same sturdiness as a Harris bipod, but it gives me a lot of added flexibility and mobility that the Harris bipod didn't give me. Um, the way that those swaggers are set up with the springs, you know, if I need to move my gun and now I'm shooting kind of off, maybe to the, maybe I'm sitting on a side hill, let's say, um, obviously if I'm shooting straight down the hill, you know, my, my legs are pretty much level and even with each other. But if I have to swing to the left or right, obviously one of my legs is going to be lower down the hill than my other. Well, when you shot like a Harris bipod, that was tough because those those legs had no flexibility in them at all. So your gun ended up being canted at an angle. Well with the swagger, all I have to do is I can actually take one leg and stick it higher up into the hill to help level out the gun, or vice versa. Um you can just move it to to get on target much quicker. And and that's what I like. You know, I the thing about coyote hunting as you do it more and more you realize you do have time, but you don't have time, if that makes sense. You know, you usually have a couple seconds, and a lot of guys feel like they don't have that much time, and you end up rushing a shot. But if the quicker you can get on target, that just gives you that extra one or two seconds to take a deep breath and realize, okay, I do have an extra second or two to kill this Kyle before he's going to run off or before he's going to move again. So being able to get on target is extremely quick or extremely important, you know, the quicker you can do it. Now they do make another option. Uh, Rick actually likes this one. It's they make a quick detach version, you know. So I think some of the some of the guys that didn't want to hook on the hundred, like I run the hundred forty-two, and they make a twenty-nine or a forty-two. I go with the forty-two. That's referring to the length that the lego goes, forty-two inches. If you go with the hundred twenty-nine, it's a twenty-nine inch leg, which you end up running into the same situations that old Harris twenty-seven inch bipod is. That sometimes the legs aren't going to be long enough. So. I always go with the 42, just to make sure I have plenty of leg length to accommodate any situation where I'm sitting. But let's say you don't want that setup hooked onto your rifle. Maybe you want something a little bit different, more like a quick detach version, more like a set of shooting sticks that you maybe had back in the day, and that's where those the QD-42s come into play. And that's what Rick really likes. And all that does, it'll mount up onto a little Picatinny rail, so it actually comes with an adapter that'll hook into your swivel stud that you can hook it to, Um, or you may have a gun that already has a Picatinny rail on it. You may have a bolt gun that you can screw a little Picatinny three-inch piece of rail onto your stock, um, but it'll accommodate all that. But it still has the same adjustable legs. Um, It still has the springs for mobility. Um, You will notice that it will be a little flimsier um, than normal. So what uh, a little trick Rick showed me is he took some, some heat shrink tubing that they maybe use on battery cables and things like that and cut off, you know, a couple three-inch sections and slit them up each leg over that spring, and then heat it up, and it kind of shrinks around that spring. So what it does, it'll it'll stiffen it up quite a bit, but it still gives you the mobility and flexibility that you want without you know stiffing it up too much. So a little something there you might add if you do if you are running a pair of cuties um, and you're looking to maybe stiffen up those springs a little bit. Just like I said, get you some of that heat shrink tubing and uh, cut you off a chunk and run it up over there. You'll you'll really like it, but but either way, you know, you got to use some sort of shooting system. I've seen a lot, um, you know, I got guys that come out to my school that bring, you know, whether it's Primo's trigger sticks, some guys are shooting off tripods with hog saddles during the day. Um, obviously, you get, you know, a lot of stability with that. You just lose a little bit of mobility as far as if coyotes come from the hard left or hard right and you got to pick up three legs and get it level as opposed to picking up two. It seems like, you know, that's you know, a little bit more of a challenge sometimes, but just like anything, if, if you practice and use it a lot, um, you're going to get efficient with it. And, and back to the swaggers or whatever system you're using, when you go to the range, you know, shoot a lot with that. You know, when I say shoot a lot, I mean, if you have a box of ammo, 20 rounds, when you dial your gun in, uh, you know, spend five or six of those rounds, making sure your gun's good off the bench, you know off sandbags whatever you have the confidence my gun's right where I want it then spend the other 14 rounds shooting off whatever you're going to shoot off of out there if you're a night hunter mount your gun up on your tripod shoot off that um you know if you're a day hunter you're going to be using a swagger or you know an old set of shooting sticks or some sort of hog saddle on a tripod whatever it may be you know that's what you need to spend a majority of your time shooting at the range because you know, like I said before, coyote, honey, you don't have a whole lot of time, so we want, we want to fall back on habit. We don't want to panic. Um, you're already panicked enough a lot of times, you know, freaking out, thinking the coyote's going to run off. And if all of a sudden your your bipod or your tripod or whatever you're using gets hung up and you start panicking even more, um, nine times out of ten you're going to rush the shot and not kill the coyote, and you're going to be thinking, dang, I wish I have spent more time, you know, working through uh, and getting familiar with with the bipod system that I have. You know, that's obviously the primary thing, my rifle setup, optics, and the call, probably the two most important things, you know, when it comes to equipment that you're going to use to kill coyotes with. Um, You know, just a few other things, you know, camo-wise, I've always looked for camo, you know, on the lighter side. To me, a lot of the camo is dark, you know, it's made for more tree stand hunting, Um, you know, I just feel like sometimes, you know, the darker it is, the more you're going to look like a, a dark object sitting on the hill um you know movements by far the most important um i wouldn't get too wrapped up in camo for me to me camo pattern for me is more of a a mental thing for myself you know if i just really like the way it looks i don't necessarily know if it has a huge impact on you know coyotes coming to the call like i said movements the, the biggest thing for me it's always been what kind of options they offer in the clothing line um you know i hunt anything from you know 60 70 degree weather all the way down to negative temps snow no snow lots of wind, no wind. Um, So I do a lot of layering. Um, You know, I usually wear some sort of hoodie underneath, and then I have some sort of over jacket that has some wind protection in it, um, even some moisture protection. And then I usually run uh, some sort of over pant, you know, whether it's a poofy pant, you know, kind of the down pants. And, you know, early in the morning, when you're making those first two or three stands in the morning, obviously it's going to be colder. And I want to be able to shed that, you know, those layers you know, midday as it starts to warm up. So I usually layer up with a pair of pants, you know, full zipper pants where I could take them on and off real quick and not killing a lot of time. And then obviously as it warms up, I can take off my, my jacket and go from there. Um, but you know, with Cryptek being a, uh, partner of the podcast now, I'm excited. Um, I've, you know, Cryptek's been around for a long time. They have a, you know, pretty phenomenal product line when it comes to, you know, options that they offer for cold weather, warm weather, you know, just Lots and lots of options of jackets and hoodies and pants and everything else so I'm excited to to get some of that that product and and start putting it to use and see what i see what I can get you know um I'm gonna be running probably the highlander pattern um you know for me out of all the patterns they offer, you know it's obviously the most suited for probably what we do in the, in the coyote hunting world uh, Eastman's guys did kind of fill me in that they are maybe coming out with a new pattern I believe it's called maybe skyfall possibly here later in 2022 um, they're pretty stoked about it. They say it's going to be, you know, they're pretty excited about it for, you know, their Western big game hunting. So I'm excited. Say it's a little, maybe a little bit lighter than the Highlander pattern, um, which will obviously spark my interest. So I'm excited to to get that. You know, when it comes to face masks, um, sometimes I'll wear a face mask. If we're shotgunning coyotes, um, and coyotes are going to be close, I'll try to wear a face mask. Um, but most time if we're, you know, rifling coyotes, and I'm not worried about them getting super close i probably won't wear a face mask i'm not worried about face shine or anything like that you know half the time i have sunglasses on i run some oakley m2s um i run some different uh, like an amber lens uh, it kind of helps you know when it's sunny out it kind of enhances colors a little bit and i run a set of clear lenses as well you know wind i'm getting old man and and uh you know the wind's hard on my eyes so you know any eye protection out there you know is important so you'll see me wearing those a lot, but, you know, I don't feel like that's going to spook off any coyotes because uh, they see the lenses of my sunglasses. Uh, it's more important to, to keep my eyes fresh and from watering and, and be able to keep them open and keep them looking for coyotes. Uh, another small piece of equipment, but I get a lot of questions on it, are two-way radios, and, you know, I've used them on and off over the years, and for me, it, it gets to be a pain because you got to make sure the radios are charged. Um, you know, you got wires kind of hanging down. Um, you know, I'm not, I haven't found a really, really good system yet. Um, I've went through probably in the last couple of years, I've tried probably five or six different brands of radios, types of radios from GMRS just to your normal. Um, this past season I was running some Midland radios and they were the higher end ones. I think they were maybe about 70 or 80 bucks a piece. um, what I found was, you know, they say they have like a 36 mile range on them, but if you don't have line of sight, it's very hard for, for them to even pick up at a hundred yards or even 200 yards, especially being clear where you can hear what's going on. Um, so I'm still experimenting, trying to find, you know, without having to go crazy, you know, expensive radios. And and one thing I've noticed with these radios, it seems like the longer they antenna, uh, the better reception you're going to be. But, you know, when you're trying to, fit your radio in your hoodie pouch or put it in your pocket. You know, you don't want a foot long antenna sticking up. That's going to break off and get hung up on everything. Um, so it's kind of trying to juggle and find the best, best of both worlds, something that's going to work. Um, but not, you know, interfere with a lot of things. So I'm still experimenting with that, but it's a great tool. You know, when you're, when you got guys covering the downwind, I use it a lot just when I'm doing schools and things and I have three or four guys on stand with me, and we're all hooked into radios, even though we may only be 10 or 20 or 30 yards apart from each other, um, I can get on the radio and I can communicate to everybody. Everybody kind of can get on the same page. When we have coyotes coming in, I can walk people through, hey, how we're going to, you know, attack this coyote coming to the call, you know, when we need to be patient, when we need to shoot, um, all that. So it's a great tool for me in that aspect. But, you know, if we're running contests or anything like that, you know, we're using where it's a two-man show, you know, we're using to communicate as well. And say, hey, you know, the downwind guys, maybe around the side hill, maybe I can't see him. I have no visual of what he sees. Um, it gives it gives me an uh, an option to call him up and say, hey, I don't see anything. I'm ready to go. Maybe he has a coyote coming in on the downwind that I don't see, and he can say, whoa, 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 you know, keep the call going. I got a coyote coming. Um, so that'll save you some coyotes down the down the road by having that communication line in place. Um, as far as earpieces, um, you know, I did buy some aftermarket mics. So essentially the, the mic will come up and hook on you know, kind of your neck piece of your coat or whatever. And then there's just a little button. I just reach up and hold in the button just like on the side of any radio. And there's a little mic I can talk into. And then it actually goes into a little molded earpiece. Um, and those are aftermarket as well. I can get on Amazon and, and find these little molded earpieces. Um, and they seem to be pretty comfortable as opposed to just an ear plug um, that a lot of those, those radios come with. The molded earpiece seems to be a little bit better, a lot more comfortable anyway when you're wearing that thing all day. Um, but that's really what I r- run for radios. Like I said, it's not the greatest, um, but it definitely is better than not running anything at all. Um, look through my list here trying to see. Um, kind of my last piece I wanted to talk about is just setting up a, a pickup. Um, I do get some questions on that as far as kind of what what I have in my truck, you know, where we're hunting. You know, a lot of times we're, hours from, you know, the nearest, you know, piece of civilization sometimes, you know, so, you know, carrying a tire kit, you know, with a compressor, you know, and tire plugs and that kind of stuff is super important. You know, I had to use that once this year. Um, I carry a booster pack, you know, for some reason, maybe you come back to the truck and and your battery's dead. Um, You know, obviously you're out in the middle of nowhere, you know, there's not anybody there to jump your battery. So a booster pack is huge. I carry one of those, um, I carry a big tote in the back of my truck, and it kind of carries, you know, all these extra things, some tools, you know, spare calls, extra battery packs. I can kind of put my coats and things in there. Um, you know, and one thing I, I did this year that I got a lot of questions from um, is a bed liner I put in there. I've always been looking for a way to try to keep coyotes from, you know, soaking up with blood. You know, if you just if you're just throwing coyotes in the bed of a pickup, and especially early season when it's warmer, you know, and you got three or four or five, six coyotes kind of piled up on each other. You know, the bottom one's are almost like sponges, and they just soak up all the blood from the coyotes, and they just they get really nasty really fast. Um, and if you're trying to sell the fur, obviously that's not great. Um, and then just from a, a standpoint of just the, the smell and things like that. So I was looking for a system to maybe, you know, be able to put something down to hopefully elevate these coyotes up off the bed a little bit so the blood and would drain down through there. Um, and I came across a product called Duraslat. Um, It's made. I think it's an in ag industry. You know, if you just Google Duraslat, you'll see it. It comes in sheets. Um, I think I be- I found the sheets that they were five foot long by two foot wide, and they're only an inch tall. And it's kind of it's real heavy duty plastic, but it's really pliable and it's gridded out. There's like inch by inch grid holes in it. And so what I did is I bought three of these sheets. So essentially, I I took these three sheets and I hooked them all together. I just drilled some holes. And bolted them together. So essentially I made a, a six foot by five foot sheet of this. Um, and then from there, I just took my little jigsaw and I cut out um, where the wheel wells were and, and slapped this right down in the bed of my pickup and then put everything on top of it. And it's been a game changer as far as, you know, keeping the coyotes clean, keeping the coyotes from, you know, stinking more, uh, keeping the blood off of everything else, you know, because a lot of times too, we'll throw backpacks and uh, you name it in that in the bed of that truck with those coyotes and and without it, you know, pretty soon the blood would flow down and, and soak up the bottom of a backpack or something like that. Well, not anymore with this. So if you're looking for something to maybe alleviate that in the back of your, maybe even just have a ranger uh, side by side or a pickup or something like that, you know, check out that product. It's a pretty cool product. It'd take a little bit of work on your part to get it to, to fit in the bed of your truck, but um, you know, it'll be uh, it'll be a great asset for you there. Well, I think that pretty much covers, you know, in-depth look of really the the equipment I run from my rifle setup, optics, you know, to the bipod system, the bullets, e-call, hunting seats, camo radios, kind of a few things I do with my truck. Um, You know, if you listen to this and have any more detailed questions, you know, be sure to look me up, you know. Uh, You can go to my website, which is coyotecraze.com. That'll give you links right there if you want to send me an email um, with a question. Uh, if you're on Instagram, you know you can send me a, a direct message there. Uh, that's that's the biggest platform to finally f- to find me on is Instagram. Um, but uh, yeah, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to hit me up there and let me know what you think. If you got any questions about any of this, uh, the equipment that we talked today. But uh, as always, want to pre- want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Hope you uh, picked up a little bit of information today uh, related to equipment. I want to thank the partners of the Eastman's Predator Pros podcast, Lucky Duck Predator Calls, Swagger Bipods, Six Hour Optics, Onyx Hunt, Cryptech, Hornady, and Black Rifle Coffee Company. And, of course, big thanks to Eastman's for putting this all on. Um, You know, if you're interested in checking out uh, some of their other podcasts, whether it's Eastman's Elevated or the Wingman podcast, you can find the links to all those um, at eastmans.com. But uh, thanks again for listening, guys, and we'll catch you right here next time on the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast.